First of all, I <clears throat> apologize if I squint. I forgot my glasses. And so, but I am looking forward because on the 15th, I'm going to have cataract surgery on this eye. And the doctor told me that after the surgery, I would have 20-20 vision, which I am looking forward to. Anyway. Cheap grace. I, that term has always been something that um, has spoken to me quite, quite uh, intensely. Let me tell you a little bit of what it means and who said it. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without any effort. Communion without personal cost. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without a cross. Ultimately, it is grace without Jesus. Now, why do I uh, read that today? The originator of that um, sentence is a, a Lutheran pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, even though he is, was Lutheran, don't let that put you off. Many times our separated brothers and sisters, even though they're not correct in everything, sometimes, boy, hit the bullseye on a lot of things that are both, that belong to all of us. And here's who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. I may have spoken to you about him before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who was pastor of a small Lutheran church in Germany right during the Third Reich um, of Hitler. And evidently what was happening in the Third Reich is that a lot of pastors were turning a blind eye to what Jesus was, I mean, to what Hitler was doing. And they were all satisfied that, you know, in that kind of a, a misinterpretation of salvation, that you don't have to do anything. All you have to do, say is, I've given my life to the Lord Jesus. I believe in him. He's my savior and you're saved. That's what's called cheap grace. Why? Because it doesn't require anything. It doesn't, nothing you have to do. I just believe unto the Lord Jesus and that's it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer just couldn't get over that. Couldn't get over how Christian pastors could live like that and, a, and turn a blind eye to what Hitler was doing. And so Bonhoeffer started working with the resistance um, to try and replace Hitler. Well, after a few years, right before the end of the war, 
there, he was put under arrest. And three days before the liberation of the concentration camp that uh, he lived, he, he resided in, they, it was in the middle of the winter, and they, they walked him out into a courtyard naked and uh, hung him with a wire. And um, he died a martyr. Now, the reason I'm bringing up the concept of cheap grace is because if you notice the first sentence, the very first sentence um, of the, uh, the reading today, you see, the very first sentence of the reading today is this. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, by all, by all measures, Jesus could have been saying, wow, I'm really popular. Uh, look at all these people. They follow me. And he wouldn't be far off the way we intend today. You know, what is it in Facebook or in Twitter? How many followers do you have? But that's cheap. It's cheap because it doesn't require anything. And Jesus knows it. He knows that all these people that are following him, quote, are just fans. They just want to hear him say some pretty stuff. Remember, this is before television or radio or anything like that. And so to hear somebody interesting, was it, was he, you kind of like we're a rock star. And so great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, when he turns around, instead of saying something that will, you know, impress the crowds, he says this, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, if somebody were to say that to you, and notice he doesn't say, you know, if, if anyone doesn't love God, you know, more than his mother and father, if anyone doesn't dedicate himself to God or to this cause. And he says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, whatever, you know, and listen to me. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I would, I think I would ask him, who the heck do you think you are? Who are you? I mean, the commandment of God is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, but then you shall love your neighbor, you shall honor your mother and your father. Jesus is asking them to violate the Ten Commandments. Is he not? Unless, in a way that 
cannot escape the understanding of a first century Jew, he is referring to the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. By all intents and purposes, Jesus is including himself. You know, sometimes I have to respond to people who say, Jesus never called himself God, never said, I am God. You're correct. You know why? I've said this several times because it really is interesting. I find it interesting. The word God in the ancient world was cheap. Why? There were lots of gods. As a matter of fact, every king and every emperor would say they were divine. They were God. So if Jesus says, I'm God, welcome to the club. Welcome. Doesn't mean anything. But what is he actually doing? He's actually identifying not himself with the generic word God, but he is actually placing himself in the place where the God of Israel should be. Unless you love me above your mother, your father, your sister. Who do you think you are? Look, notice what he's saying. He is saying that he identifies with the God of Israel. So when people say he didn't call himself God, technically right, but oof, boy, are they wrong. And then he goes on, by the way, when you use the, when you use the word hate, please understand, Jesus is, in, in the ancient world, hyperbole was a lot of the order of the day. You know, like, for example, if, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus was not meaning that we should have a, a church filled with amputees. Okay, that was a typical first century of saying this is super important. You know, there's see this is just an aside, but I find it an aside really interesting and helpful. The word contempt. You know, uh, the word contempt is really an interesting word because we we think of it as um, somebody going. Bleh you know, to another human being, I find you in contempt. You're, you're, ugh. That's not what it means. Contempt means you play with something without recognizing the weight or the dignity with which you are treating something that deserves extreme seriousness. Thus, when you're, for example, if you're in a court of law, and you're talking or you're falling asleep or stuff like that, the judge may say, I'm going to charge you with contempt of court, meaning you are forgetting where you are, buster. You're forgetting where you are. Normal, normal conduct does not apply here. And so when 
Familiarity breeds contempt. Think about that. Are we often so familiar with being Catholic that in an effect we treat our discipleship with contempt? By the fact that we treat it so lightly. Yeah, let me go to church. Yeah, I'll say hi to hey, Jesus, how are you? You know, and uh, okay, Father, hurry up, shut up, so we can get out of here. If that's it, I think that's contempt of Jesus. Not contempt of court, but contempt of Jesus. But anyway, Jesus is aware that a lot of the people who are following him have contempt. They are, dealing, they are there because it's better than a Saturday night doing nothing. So they're following him. So notice what he's doing to them. He's just told them, I don't want you as disciples. I don't want you if you don't put me first. That's what hating means. Hating means push them. No one can take the place of God in your life. And he's referring himself to God. And so then he goes on to the next. Listen to this. Now, this is again an area what I find that I find we treat this lightly. The next sentence, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you ever have a chance, or no, I know you have a chance, if whether it's whether you want to take it or not, that's the issue. Look up the Roman understanding of the crucifixion. Because we have this cross right behind us. And it's pretty. Okay? It's just meant as a representation. It's a good representation. But if you were in the presence of a real person crucified, you would vomit. You would vomit. Because the Romans, that was not the only way of crucifixion. When you were sentenced to be crucified, and mostly it was reserved for slaves, you were supposed to be a living billboard. There's times that the Romans would take hundreds of people and they would put poles all the way up and down the Apian Way. And they would hang people in those poles. They were like a T. And so it's interesting because the Romans prided themselves in, what can we do to this dude or this lady? How can we crucify them in a creative way? Always naked, sometimes upside down. Sometimes they would impale you through a private part. Sometimes they, they would just, and, and you couldn't close your eyes because the, the birds were coming. They were attracted to the blood and, and, and the drippings of the body. It was gross. If you ever saw, experienced a crucifixion, I I mean it, you would upchuck. And the Romans were there. Now, when Jesus says these words, we understand them, oh, I know, I have to care, I have to cook today, I have to do this, I have to do that. (laughs) The early Christians would not have seen it that way. They They saw people. I was watching a a channel on YouTube, and a reporter went to um, Afghanistan, 
and the Taliban in Afghanistan in a town had crucified several people in Afghanistan. And he said he just couldn't bear to look because it made him sick to his stomach, the bones and the flesh. But look at what Jesus is saying. is That's what he means by hating your own life. It means if you really are concerned about your own skin above following me, can't be my disciple. Now, I want you to understand why Jesus is doing this. Precisely because he knows, precisely because he knows our tendency to cheap grace. We want to make everything convenient. Have you ever thought about the etymology of the word convenient? Veni, venient means um, walk and con means with. So convenient means walk with me. It would be like you going up to Jesus and saying, oh, you want me to be my disciple? Come on, tag with me and tell me a little bit about it. You're basically, we are basically saying to Jesus, hey, yeah, come on with me instead of you going with him. We want everything convenient. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're putting your own life, your own comfort and everything before me, this is not it. It's not it. Now, please understand. You've got to understand this in the sense of hyperbole. Now, why do I say that? Listen to the last sentence. I won't go through the whole gospel, but listen to the last sentence. Um, he says, In the same way, any one of you who does not renounce all their possessions cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to renounce? It does not mean for everyone. It does not mean you got to go home, put your house up for sale, you know, and give the money to the church and, or whatever. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that whatever you have, you have to renounce, meaning to once again push it away. Push it away. What does that um, entail? It means that you are what we call, well, that's why we use the word stewardship. It is something that is entrusted to you. It doesn't belong to you. You are entrusted with it as a manager. Yes, you are supposed to use it for your own good, but for the good of another also. I often give this example. I, 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 I when I'm teaching, I say, what do you think, what do you say about this? What if you're an extremely wealthy human being and you want to buy a yacht? Is it permissible for you to buy the yacht? And of course, most people say, oh, no, we should live simply. We shouldn't buy anything we don't need, absolutely. No. I tell people to buy the yacht. Because the people who build those yachts need their jobs. If nobody buys yachts, the economy goes down. 
So what are you supposed to do? Well, after you buy the yacht, the yacht is entrusted to you to manage it. You are to use the yacht periodically for yourself, but then to make sure that with the rest of your money, you gather groups of children, of poor people, of people who can't go, who would never have the pleasure of going out on a day cruise like that, and you are to use your yacht not just for yourself, but for other people. That's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. Jesus was not against riches. He was against the selfish use of riches, the hoarding to yourself. And so to renounce means you don't hoard it for yourself. And you know that it's going to go away sooner or later. Because the day you die, as I've said this periodically, I've been in 45 years of being a priest. I've been next to a lot of people who have died. Not one time did anybody ask me to bring their Gucci purse so they could hold it as they were dying. Or let me see a picture of my Lexus. Not one time. Because you're not going to take it with you. So it's entrusted to you to manage it. And that's what Jesus says. Some of us are called, like St. Francis of Assisi, he gave it all up. He even took all his clothes off, gave it to his father, because his father was griping. Some people are called to that. I was called to this. Many of you are called to family life. But all of us are called to be entrusted with possessions not owning them, managing them. And so um, I'll, I'm about to shut up if you're trying to figure out when I'm going to shut up. What Jesus is talking to us today is uh, he's, he's warning us against cheap grace. He's saying, look, uh, being, being one of my disciples is not about saying, yea, Jesus, He's not about going to church all the time. Going to church is good. It helps you. But it's not about punching your Catholic card. You know, I've done nothing wrong. Click. You know, the man, do you remember the man who goes back to the, back to the, uh, his boss who gave him some money and says, here, here it is, sir. I didn't spend a dime of it. I buried it. I buried it and I didn't lose one thing. Guy was basically saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And the boss or the manager says, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Why? Because he was lazy. He didn't do anything right either. Not doing stuff wrong is not enough. You got to use your life for the sake of God's kingdom. These parables are tough, folks. But I think they, we're in the part of Luke right now that is a reality check. It's not a matter of uh, just coming to church and saying, Jesus, what does it take? And you, it doesn't, you can't use cheap grace. Taking a, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote one book that is the con is contains cheap grazing. And the title of that book should tell you a lot. 
The title of the book that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote is called The Cost of Discipleship. That's what he's talking about today. God bless you.